0: Well, good morning. Well, let's find out what's going on in the world. What's going to happen next? Are you curious? Yeah. Are you curious? Yeah. Are you awake? Yeah. All right, you've got to act like it now. All right, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing when you begin to study the subject of biblical prophecy. Because, number one, you know, you've always got a skeptic. There's always a skeptic that says, yeah, but haven't those promises always been around? Haven't people always been talking about these things? Yes. Are the times the same as they were then? No. There's an interesting occurrence of event that you can trace historically. You can trace biblically, and we're going to do some of that today. We're going to try to give you some insight into what's happening in our world and this phenomena that is coming, uh, these four blood moons that will start uh, actually this year. So I-, I want to just begin with this word from the Jewish Talmud. It says, when the moon is in eclipse, it is a bad omen for Israel. If its face is as red as blood, it is a sign that the sword is coming to the world. Now just hold that in your mind for a bit, and we'll come back to the four blood moons. But let me just kind of introduce prophecy in this way. Prophecy, first of all, reveals God's plan. The Bible says that God does nothing unless he first reveals it to his prophets. So when we open up the Bible and we see the prophets, whether it be Jeremiah or Isaiah or Haggai or one of the others, what, it, what we're finding there is not just some information about our spiritual development, but what we're also finding are insights into the days that lead ahead. Whether they're pre- predicting or whether they're giving a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the return of the Messiah, or events surrounding the nation of Israel. So know that about prophecy. It gives us insight into what God is thinking, what God is doing. The other thing is that we are on the doorstep of the return of Christ. Now, if I were giving this message in 1940, I could not say that. It took the establishment of the nation of Israel in 1948 for me to be able to say that with confidence. Because biblically, we begin to see how a prophetic clock unfolds in Scripture. And one of the events that people were waiting for was this establishment, this regathering of the nation of Israel that happened following World War II. Third thing, and we want to keep this very, very dominant in our mind, no one knows the hour or the day of Christ's return. So we are not trying to predict a day when he's coming. We're not saying he's coming at the blood moon. What well, all we're saying is it's an interesting phenomena. It has been attached to the nation of Israel in some very interesting ways, as we're going to see in just a few moments. So we're not predicting a date, but we are saying that we are definitely on the doorstep. We're definitely looking down that hallway that is not nearly as long as it used to be because of what we're seeing in our world today. Now, what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles, and let's just uh, take a, a little bit of an introduction into this idea of signs and how God gets this message across. Genesis chapter one in verse 14. Here's what the Bible says. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Now nothing too radical there, right? Just pretty straightforward. God's creating the heavens and the earth. But notice what he says then. And let them be for signs. Now that word signs in the Hebrew language means a signal or a beacon. So God said those heavenly bodies that I put up there the sun the moon and the stars they are for signs and for seasons. And that word in the Hebrew means the appointed time. In other words that I'm going to 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 speak to you from what you see in heaven so that you can understand the days in which you find yourself living and for days and for years. All right, let's go to the book of Joel, chapter 2. And in Joel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 30, listen to what it says. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Now, what's interesting about that word wonder there, it's the same word that, that Moses, uh, that God, when he was speaking to Moses, used uh, to describe the miracles that he was going to perform in the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt in that day. So when God says, I'm going to show wonders, I'm going to show miracles, I'm going to show something unusual, this is not going to be just common day, everyday occurrence things. I'm going to show them in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. So we understand that to be a solar eclipse and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. We will experience in this coming cycle of blood moons, not only the blood moons that are tied to the festivals uh, and the feast days of Israel, but we also will experience in the middle of that a complete solar eclipse. So we see something happening here, and, and here's the question we ask. God, are we living in this day that you're talking about now? The answer is we don't know. What we do know is that if history is a predictor of our future, something, God has arranging something on planet Earth to get our attention. Let's go to the book of Acts now, chapter 2 and verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Now, what's happening here is the apostle Peter is quoting from the book of Joel. The setup for this verse was, in the last days... Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And it goes on to give us that very familiar passage about what's happening on the day of Pentecost. And then it transitions from then until the future. So we're reading now from Joel. He's quoting Joel. He says, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now let's go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, John says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops in late figs and is shaken by a mighty wind. Now, I added that that extra verse on there so you could see that all three of the heavenly bodies, if you will, are referenced there tied to this return of Christ. So the sun, the moon, and the stars are all connected there. So we see this grouping of scriptures, if you will, that are pointing us and giving us some kind of a guideline into the future of what's happening here on planet earth. So let's talk a bit about the blood moon uh, tetrad. Now, when four consecutive lunar eclipses occur, over two consecutive years. So in other words, when we look at 2014, 2015, and we have blood moons that happen in the 14, blood moons that happen in the 15, it is very, very unusual. It's called a tetrad. Now, tetrads which fall on the feast days of the Lord, now I'm gonna show you a diagram of this, but just kinda listen the best you can. When they fall on the feast day, like Passover, or the Feast of Tabernacles, it is extremely rare. That's what's happening in 2014, 2015. Since 1 AD, thanks to NASA, we know they can tell you, they can take you back, they can show you exactly when these eclipses occurred because there's a, there's a cycle and a pattern of how they can predict things. There have only been seven sex tetrads, including the two that we're going to, to experience this year. So in other words, there's only been five in 2,000 years. What we want to do is look at those five, examine them, and say, is there anything unusual about them that might help us to understand? After 2014 and 15, there will be no more tetrads in the 21st century. So that's the unusualness, the uniqueness of the day that we find ourselves living in. You see, the one thing we have to understand is it was God who created the heavens and the earth, He hung the stars in the space and put them exactly where he wanted them. It is God who is the ultimate mathematician of the universe. It is God who holds all things together by the word of his power, he tells us in the book of Colossians. So we can only expect that God is a God of order, God is a God of planning, God is a God who can take things like this, make the complicated seem simple and say, let me show you how I'm working. So let's go back and take a look at one of those tetrads that happened in 1493 and 1494. If that sounds a bit familiar, it is. It, it kind of takes us back to the days of Columbus, doesn't it? Well, what happened was there was an edict of expulsion in Spain. Christopher Columbus wrote this in his diary. In the same month in which their majesties, Ferdinand and Isabella, issued the edict that all Jews should be driven out of the kingdom and its territories. In the same month, they gave me the order to undertake with sufficient men my expedition of discovery to the Indies. So Columbus tells us something about that that Spanish Inquisition that was focused mainly on the Jews. In fact, more than 200,000 Jews were, were driven out of Spain because of that edict. From Ferdinand and Isabella. Spain, by the way, up to that point, was considered to be its golden age. It was prosperous. Everything that you can imagine was going well for Spain. That rising Spanish armada was ruling the sea. And what we begin to see is once they have driven out the Jews, once they have had this edict of expulsion that took place, we began to see a decline take place in Spain that is still with them today. I believe it's because of what God says in Genesis chapter 12 when he gave the promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. It wouldn't be very long before the armada would try to move up into England and take England and it was there that the queen called upon the entire country to pray Very uncharacteristically, a strong wind blew up and took all the the Spanish armada, drove them into the rocks, and the English ships were very easily, and that ended the entire rule of the Spanish armada on the seas, and then Great Britain would rise. I believe it was tied to that prayer. I believe it was tied to some spiritual decisions that were made at that particular point. Well, let's go forward again. Now, let's go look to the next tetrad, 1949-1950. That followed the birth of the nation of Israel. In 1948, we saw the establishment of the nation of Israel, and there was a transitional government that was put together at that particular point. The official Knesset would actually not go into play until January uh, through March of 1949, where we see this second tetrad. And the miracle of a nation rising from its ashes, literally rising from the ashes of World War II and that German war machine that tried to annihilate the Jewish people, was a nation that was literally born in a day, even though the opposition was great. It reminds us of Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8 when he talks about the rebirth of the nation. Isaiah the prophet said, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in a day? Or shall a nation be brought forth in a movement? For soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. It was David Ben-Gurion who said this, The gates of the country were thrown open, affirming the right of every Jew to become a citizen. Those words could not have been spoken, nor could they have, were they fulfilled prior to 1948. He was opening the doors now for for immigration to come all around the world. It takes us back to a promise God gave in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 and 4. The Lord your God will bring you back. See, there's the promise of God. If you ever wonder about what God's up to, God has a promise for you. It's not just a promise he makes to Israel. The Bible is full of promises, and we have to hold God to his promise. We have to look and say, God, you said this, just like the promise of eternal salvation. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, I will be saved. There's a promise of God. God wants us to hold us to his promises, and God says to Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I will bring you back from captivity. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. You see, God scattered Israel because they weren't following the word. They weren't following the truth revealed by God. He scattered them into the north and the south and the east and the west. They were all over the world. And He says, But I'm going to bring you back. If any of you are driven to the furthest parts of the heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Has that happened? Indeed it has happened. We saw it, we've we seen and still see this great influx of Jews worldwide coming in to the nation of Israel. Let me give you some examples. From In the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3 and verse 10, God says, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. Now imagine that. God is speaking and says, you know what, down there in the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, will I bring back. Did that happen? Operation Moses in 1984, 8,000 Jews were airlifted from Ethiopia. 1991, Operation Solomon, 14,500 Jews were airlifted back into Israel from Ethiopia. 2012, Operation Dove's Wing, 240 Jews from Ethiopia, and they believe they have the last Jew in Ethiopia who wants to return to Israel now in an airlift that happened just last year. God literally fulfilled a scripture that is so out there. And you can do the same thing with other Jews in other countries. Between 1989 and 2001, the Russian government gave Russian citizens the freedom to leave if they were Jewish. 1.1 million Russian Jews immigrated to Israel between those years. So we see God's up to something. God's doing something. And again, that was on one of those blood moon tetrads. Let's go to 1967 and see the next one. It's tied to the nation of Israel. 67 and 68, If you know your history, you know there was a six-day war. That's all it took. They were outnumbered 20 to 1 by surrounding Arab nations that had some of the strongest military in the entire Middle East. There was no hope for success, and yet somehow God intervened. God did something miraculous, and in, in just six days, the Jews had fought off all those who were seeking to wipe them off the face of the earth, and become strong, this tiny little nation positioned in just this obscure part of the world. But what happened in that moment was very unusual because not only had they fought off those who were trying to wipe them off the map, but they also recaptured Jerusalem and the Wailing Wall. And what that meant was that now they had control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. It's interesting that when, jo- when God was speaking to Joshua in chapter 4 and verse 24, he said this about what God was doing in the miraculous for the nation of Israel. He said, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. You know why God gets involved in our life? You know why God wants to get involved in the life of our, of our nation It is so that we might know that he is God, it's God's hand, and that so all the nations of the world might come and say, we want that God, we want to respect that God. That's why we live out our faith on a daily basis. We want people to understand something about our God and what our God can do. In Luke chapter 21, we see a fulfillment of what happened in 1967, Listen to what it says, Luke 21 and 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles. That happened up until 1948, until 1967. And then it says, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What I believe happened in 1967 when they retook Jerusalem retook the wailing wall they got possession of Jerusalem was the beginning of this prophecy of the times of the Gentiles are coming to an end the next big event after that will be the rapture of the church and the great tribulation on the face of the earth 1967 six-day war it was a prophetic turning point in scripture it was a miracle of God's intervention It was a regaining of that western wall. And again, it goes back to it was one of those blood moon tetrads that we understand. Now, let's go to 2014 and 15, where we all live. I want to show you a diagram. I'm going to walk you through a little bit so you get a feel for what this really is all about. And on this, uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see these four blood moons. And the first one is going to occur on Passover in April 15th. Of this year. Now remember, Passover happened in Egypt. Passover was the model for what we celebrate in communion. And it was God's message to the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to send the death angel in, and if you'll put blood on the doorway of your house, the death angel will pass over your house and you will live. And so, Passover is a big feast day in the nation of Israel. It commemorates the forgiveness of sins. It commemorates the giving of life to us. When we take communion, as we will at the end of this service, when we take communion, what we're doing is we're saying God has given us life. God has removed our sins. We have have victory in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice also the second blood moon that occurs is going to occur in October 8th, and this is the Feast of the Tabernacles. What happened was this celebrated the coming into the land. The journey is over. The battle through the wilderness is over. And now they can just enjoy what God has given them. And they can rest. And they can reflect. And they can be thankful because the weariness is over. You see, this is a high holiday for the Jews as well. So we see the forgiveness of sins and the giving of rest. Do you know that when your sins are forgiven, you can enter into God's rest? enter into God's rest. Then we'll come back in 2015. Again, we'll see on April 4th, 2015, now what would be the third of these four blood moons. And again, occurring on September 28th, the fourth of these blood moons positioned in between these, these, uh, these, in the middle of these four moons is a solar eclipse. Now, we don't know what all the implications of that are going to be, We do know that unusual things have been tied to these blood moon tetrads over history. We can expect that that will not be different in coming this year and the following year. Is that a return of Christ? I don't know. We don't know the date. Is it going to be a war in the Middle East? We don't know. But we do need to do what Scripture says. We need to keep our eyes wide open and understand the times and the days that we live in. These are unusual times. These are unusual days. I don't think any one of us have have ever sat back in recent days and say, everything is normal in our world today. I mean, has anyone ever had that moment? Has anyone ever said, you know, it seems like everybody's getting more godly. It seems like everybody's loving Jesus today, and they used to didn't love Jesus, and now I don't know what's going on. There's just something happening in our world. Have you ever looked at the world and said, look at the or, the disorder that's happening. Look at the conflicts among the nations, among the peoples. Look at what's happening. There's unusual things happening. There's so many uncertainties on a horizon, we don't even want to look at the horizon anymore. We just want to act like it's not there at all. I find myself, I have an app on my phone called the Drudge Report, and I, I will pull that up periodically, and, and I'll just scroll through what's going on. And I, think, and I think to myself, I don't know why anybody would think the Bible's bad news. I mean, when I look at what's happening in our world uh, from coast to coast, we see what's happening in, in Kiev and, and that, and, and, you know, a total embarrassment to the Kremlin who right in the middle of their, their wonderful Olympics are trying to figure out, well, how do we manage this one with the press? You don't. Because we're living in days of lawlessness and disorder, and and we're living in days where those who are going to really be strong are going to be the ones that can sink deep into the Word of God and into the power of God, into the life of God. Those who find community with one another. Because in the last days, people's hearts grow cold, and they give up on friendship, they give up on loyalty. And they think about themselves, and that's what makes the church so strong in the middle of difficulty, is that we are different. We're held together, not by our nation. Yes, that's important, but we're held together by the Spirit of the living God. And that Spirit of God that draws us together allows us to walk up and put our arm around somebody and pray for them and encourage them and to know you can count on somebody. That's what made the church strong through its whole history. It's interesting, you can can track uh, the blood moons on NASA's website up until just uh, not too long ago. I love this headline that came on the World News Daily, and let me just show it to you. Blood moon fallout, NASA goes hiding. You see, here's the problem. Let me show you the screenshot from NASA, by the way. That site was up on the 15th of February. You could go to that site and you could confirm all the feast of Israel, the blood moon tetrads, when asked about this site closing down, the only response was, Well, we, we don't we don't know if it's accurate, so we're not going to put it back up until we verify our facts. You're NASA. It's not me, it's NASA. You guys figure out how to send somebody to the moon and get them back. And you can't get a website up to date? And I looked at that and I thought to myself, this website of NASA is confirming the truth of Scripture. And when they realized that, and when that, that demand started to go great on that and questions were being asked, they said, you know, it's better just to go into hiding than to ever try to deal with this at all. Let me show you what Scripture says. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. If you have your Bibles, just look there with me and see what the Bible has to say about these days and these times. Beginning in verse 25, it says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth. Distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. Now, let me ask you something. Are any of those things happening in our world right now? Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, we don't know chronologically what that entails, what time frame we're in. We could even be honest and say, you know, I think, don't you think people have always had distresses and complexity and perplexity and all those things? Absolutely. We just haven't, when we tie them to biblical prophecies and signposts along the way, it makes it different. Because you'll notice in verse 27, then we fast forward to wherever this is historically, chronologically, then we fast forward to the return of Christ. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud and power, and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up for your, and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So here's what Jesus said. You can read what's going on in your world and you can be prepared for what's going on in your world. I don't give you these to scare you. I give you these because I want you to know, I want you to understand. Remember, there were many Jews who in the first century identified Jesus as the Messiah who was written about in the book of Isaiah. It wasn't something that they said, oh, really? Oh, no, there were a large group that didn't, but there was a large group who did. And you know who those who did? Those who knew this book. Those who followed prophecy and said, what can we expect from our God? What is our God up to? We wanna know what our God is up to. And as we begin to watch and we begin to see, we see things changing in our world on a daily basis. You know, you've undoubtedly heard about the, the, the Bitcoin and, and the idea that this a fully digital international currency is now not only available, but also even traded as a commodity. Well, the Bitcoin is something that could be an answer to what Revelation says, a one world currency. It may not be. All we know is we get shadows of what is happening in our world, we see them, and we have to say, now, how do we prepare? How do we live? What do we do? And what do we how can we make the biggest difference in the lives of individuals in the process of getting there? My experience with in-time prophecy led me to faith in Christ. And I've got to admit, When I first heard about this as a college student, and I began to read a book on the return of Christ, it scared me to death, because I knew I was in trouble, because everything that Bible said not to do, I'd already done. And I read it, and I thought, because some people say, well, fear isn't a great motivator. It motivated me. Love motivates some people, fear motivates other people, but the reality, what if it's true that this book is true? What if what God said in this book is true is, was the question I had to wrestle with, and I came to a place to say, I believe it's true, and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I confess my sins before him, and I ask him to, to come into my life and to save me, and he did. And he did. And that's the good news. Good news. So I can be in the middle of a turbulent world. I can be in the middle of changing world and difficulty and know that I am positioned and stationed upon the rock of my salvation, amen? And God does not change. I am the Lord, that is my name. I change not. The God who loved you yesterday loves you today. The God who forgave you yesterday forgives you today. The God who is with you is with you today. That's good news, amen? Let's stand together as we pray. Father, as we pray, we we take this time to reflect, we take this time to think about the message that you've given us from your word, from the life-changing experience we've had. And God, um, as we pray and as we praise you, as we take communion, Father, may we be reminded it it is your body that was given, it was your life that was given that we might have life in the forgiveness of sins. Just like Israel experienced that Passover, God, we experienced that Passover. You've passed over our sins, and you've said, I love you. I love you in spite of the times you failed. I love you in 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 spite of the times that you didn't trust me. I just love you. You're my child, and you're special to me. God, receive us. Receive our praise and receive our worship. And as we honor you in this time, Amen.